all the things you're procrastinating about come from basically a misalignment in your brain of something that I call the reward versus pain ratio. All you entrepreneurs out there, you should use Twitter polls at least, like, I use it every day, but at least once a week or once a month. So I have at this table, we're here at um, Bossa Nova in Sunset, on Sunset Boulevard. There's seven females and three guys. So we have a well-represented panel of questions. Now, also I have another question for that only women could ask. 90% of the time I meet girls' boyfriends and I wanna ask the girl, what the hell do you like in that dude? It's like, it's like women. And so I wanna, the second question that I'm gonna do a Twitter poll as we do this podcast is, what percentage of people are in relationships because they don't think they can get better? And so they're afraid to like take a step out and be alone for a little bit versus they're totally happy in the relationship. Cause I feel like we, I was just talking to a certain someone here, but I won't put her on the spot. <laughs> Uh, no, it wasn't her. It wasn't her. And it's like, she's with the guy. And I'm like, are you going to stay with this guy? You've been for years. And actually over here too, we have number two person that said the same thing. Like, so the question is, I think 90% of people, 90% of people compromise. And we have their opinions in the background. What, what's your opinion? We have someone here to the side that told me she's extremely afraid of social settings, but she talks nonstop. So little side note, very few people actually know themselves. They're like delusional. So, okay. Who here at the table has ever been in a relationship and you didn't, you stayed in it, not because you really liked them, but it was the best you could get at the time. Yeah. One, two. Been in a relationship, but it wasn't, you were like, I can do better. Oh, yeah. but, but I'm just with this okay. person in the interim. But, Three, oh. four, like, how about you? I can do better, but it's more like I'm secure right now. Yeah, yeah but feel safe. you feel I'm, safe, yeah. but you know there's no long-term future. That's what I'm talking about. How often yeah. have you done that? Oh, yeah, no, I've done that. Five, <laughs> six. So, so here's the thing about life. Yesterday, there was a mass shooting, largest mass shooting in U.S. history. I was in Vegas. I took off and took a picture from the... I was at a private jet airport and I took a picture out the window. We were right next to the festival at Mandalay Bay. If I had left maybe two or three hours later, we would have been right in the middle of the shooting. So life is short. So what, do you know what happened? This is a good love story. Did you see this guy? They were shooting and him and his girlfriend ran and he put himself, he hugged her and he got shot in the back and died, but he protected her. So she had a good guy, turned out to be good. but. I swear to God. Okay, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. You, your friend made a funny face when I was talking about relationships. You were in a relationship for how long with a guy? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm kind of a relationship person. So how long was the last one? The last one, like two years. The last one was two years. What the hell did you like in the guy? Because your friend, did you like him? Okay, your friend says he's trash. Why did you like him? Like, why are there such divergent? And I'm going to tell you the reason. I'm reading the most fascinating book. For those of you who don't have iBooks, I'm going to give, I mean, who have iBooks, listen and buy this book. It's by Sigmund Freud. It's called Group Psychology and the Analysis of the Ego. He says love is the, close, the closest analogy is hypnotism. People get hypnotized and they forget to see the flaws. And you said you felt secure, but you were hypnotized. Your friend wasn't hypnotized, so she saw the truth. 
So for a relationship to be real, because I've been in relationships where I'm like, this girl just likes me, but I don't know if she loves me or just loves being in love. One of my best friends, this dude was in love. When I first met him, he's from South America. I met him like 10 years ago. First time I met him, he's like, dude, I met the love of my life. Okay, I was like, oh, I never met him, so I thought that was like rare. Six months later, three months later, he's like, I'm like, what happened to the last girl? He's like, dude, forget her. I've met the love of my life over and over. He's had a love of his life 20 times in the last 10 years. So I told him one day, I said, dude, you're not actually in love with uh, what Freud calls the ego object. So you don't give a shit about the person. You just love to be in love. So my question to you is, did you actually love this guy or were you just in love with being in love? Because you admitted you're a relationship kind of person and how long in the relationship for the relationship did you know he wasn't the guy for you long term out of the two years how long did it become apparent that you're like hell no i'm not spending the rest of my life with this guy one week um no i would say like a year because you know there's like that butterflies and stuff in the beginning so you stay with them for a full year i think this is actually the pattern what's the longest relationship you've been in all right we have one person a year and a half Six years. Adrian, longest. Two. Two. Craig, you were married. Seven. Seven. Four. Four. Longest. Um, probably like four. Four. My longest is like three. Three. Six months. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we got we got some issues here. <laughs> All right. So. In that relationship that each of you said we have all this range, what percentage of the time were you fully actually in love with the person? You were not like Sigmund Freud. You were not hypnotized by the love effect. You actually saw them clearly and you loved their... What did you love about this guy for two years? Just tell me, what was lovely about him? I mean, honestly, like, I feel like when you first meet someone, like, for me personally, I love when, like, a guy is an asshole to me. I love... Okay, so he was an asshole to you, so you have mental problems. That's actually mental problems. No, not like an asshole, but it's... She said, for those of you listening, she said she loves when a guy is asshole. Okay, not... You know what a psychologist calls that? I like chasing him. I like... I like him to, like, you know, like me. You like games. Yeah, I kind of like games. By the way, that's called for if you want the technical term, that's called anxious avoidance syndrome. It's um, there's three main, there's four main types of love types. Secure, about 50% of people are secure. The other 25 are anxious, and they're about 20% are avoidant, and the last like 5% are anxious avoidant. That's the worst, by the way. The worst. So here's the definition. I'm gonna ask you a question. If a guy, first month, if he's super into you, do you get kind of freaked out and not like him? Um, I mean, I don't know. That's never really like happened to me, honestly. So you like assholes, okay? <laughs> A lot of women, trust me, have fucking psychology problems, mental problems, and so do men. This guy, why? You've been with him. Why are you in love with him? What about him is lovely? Because something got to be the definition of love. There has to be something about them. No, it's not always sex. That's bullshit. You got you can't talk. You only got six six months experience. She don't know shit. She, she said sex. No woman, for the most part, stays long term with a guy just because of sex. Unless they have mental problems. Like stripper girls. I know stripper girls. If a guy doesn't treat them like shit, what happens is 
Here's what, if you want to know the actual psychology, when you're about five years old, by the time you're five, right, you, you form attachment to your parents. Do you, are your mom and dad married? No. Okay. So there's this thing called R factor, or K factor, sorry. If you have a fucked up initial five years of your life or you don't see love, you basically create a mental map that's all backwards. So for example, you'll learn that being attached to a good person, you'll think it creates pain. It also creates narcissism. Most narcissists, they overcompensated. They weren't loved by their parents. People think that narcissism comes from compliments. Not really, not when you're young. When you're young, narcissism, your parents don't compliment you. So you overcompensate and you're like, I'm gonna be, I love myself. And the same thing with this avoidant thing. So most people, the problem is people by the time they're 18 years old, their mind is so fucked up, it's like wires, and there's no way you can rewire them. That's a, I got good news and bad news if you're listening. My mentor, Dr. David Buss, who's probably the most experienced living psychologist in the world, he wrote the textbook for Harvard, for Yale. I asked him, I said, can a person really change? And he said three important things if you're writing down notes. Number one, it depends on the person. Some people can't change hardly at all. It's a lost cause. Number two, it you probably can't, for the most part, change more than 10, maybe 20%. So number three, all you people having kids out there, for the love of God, please, can you not fuck up your kids so we have these horrible humans running around? That's what happened in Las Vegas. This dude was not normal. A normal guy doesn't become 60 years old, take a, what did he have, an AK-47 or an AR? He had an AR and he shot 500 people, or 500 people were injured, 50, over 50 killed. And let me tell you the story, the background story. His father was one of the most wanted bank robbers in history. That shit gets inherited, by the way. Ability, psycho, being psychotic or having what's called low impulse control, which he obviously had, um, that's genetic. So at some level, you know, you can, there used to be this thing called eugenics. In America, they used to sterilize people and say, you can't have kids. That's unethical, so they stopped doing that. But, but, there is some truth to the fact that some people shouldn't be having kids so they fix themselves, like literally. And that's what basically everybody says, what's wrong in the world? I'm like, I can tell you. There's no, there's a, you gotta have a license to drive a car, but you don't have to have a license to have kids. Anybody that can sleep with somebody, that's all it takes. And then you bring a new life into this earth and then we get 7.3 billion people. Half of them are literally lost and psychologically impaired. 25, there's a big study just came out. 25% of women have serious psychological problems. 25, that's one in four. And 15% of men. So about one in seven men. Because a lot of guys are like, my dream world is where like girls are just DMing me like celebrities. No, I've been on both sides of that. I've, I've had a life that's normal and then I've had a life where girls DM me. Now I don't even respond. If a girl DMs me, I'm like, hell no. And the reason I know that, I, I sent my test to at least th a thousand of those girls. And, and that's statistically significant. At least nine, I did a test once, a hundred girls. And by the way, the other type of girl that's completely messed up, models. All these dudes want models. I'm like, no, you can hang out with models, but you don't want to date a model. No, sir. There's a few exceptions. 
but not much. I did a test on 100 of the top Instagram models. I sent them my test, 87 of them got a completely fucked up score. Not even... A messed up score, so okay, they're asking me a good question. Here's the psychological score that's messed up. The first thing you look at is dark triad. So you look at narcissism, Machiavellianism, and, and being psychotic. If they score high on narcissism, you can do something called a nice narcissism inventory, which I did on you. Her narcissism inventory, I, shit, can I say? It's the other test I sent you with the red bars. You got probably the craziest score I've ever seen. So maybe you were drunk that day when you took it. I'm gonna give you the better. So here's what narcissism personality. So you could, a narcissist is someone who loves themselves and can't see things from other people's side of the story. There's five aspects in narcissism. There's authority, superiority, exhibitionism, vanity, and exploitativeness. So there's subcategories. Who here's ever met a dude, because we got a lot of women here, who's good looking, but he's completely into himself and he's a piece of crap. Yeah, because narcissists either have, yeah, let me see, can I show your score? This is amazing. I love life sometimes. I'm like, wait, where's, wait, show the bottom one. Uh, wait, go here, okay. Wait, where was it? Look at this test. This is, she got, she got a 37 out of 40. 40 is the highest you can get, and you got a 37. So I got good news for you. On vanity, and vanity means like looking at yourself in the mirror, you cannot get any higher score. You scored a perfect 100. Okay. Yeah, entitlement. This is a nasty one. Vanity, let me just tell you, vanity in a girl, if I had to pick all the traits, that I could live with, vanity's okay, because I feel like all girls like looking in the mirrors. But you got on superiority, that means you see yourself as better than people, you got a hundred. Wow. But here's the worst of them. You got on entitlement, on entitlement, you got like a 90. So entitlement, I have a friend like this, and you know, I've been friends with him for 10 years, and I never figured out what was wrong with him until I gave him this test. It's called the way the Narcissism Personality Inventory, MPI. It's a free test online if you Google it. He always says stuff like, dude, you don't call me. And I'm like, but you don't call me. And he can't do the math in his head. How are you going to call someone else out for not calling or texting when you don't? But I, now I know why. His, I had him take this test. His entitlement score. So entitles is kind of like... The world owes me lots of stuff. Yeah, and so, yes, your, your boyfriend should get a purple heart and a gold star. So if you're watching, <laughs> you are an amazing man, and I don't know how you do it. But I'm very proud of you and your strength as a man, although you also got 100 on exhibitionism, which means like to show their body. But let me ask you this, because you're... One thing I like about you, good news, you're very honest, that's good. Because some people try to hide it. You're like, I'm a narcissist and I don't care if anybody knows. So you're a unique case study for me. So my question is, you do see yourself as superior to most people. Like you're, you're, you're so messed up when you No, no, but just think of it this way. Like most people are kind of dumb. You see things a little better than most people. You got more insight and things like that than the average girl. 
Yes. Yes. Now, sometimes that's true. Like, if you're Steve, I'm going to give you this test, by the way. I'm going to give you. Can you text her the link I sent you? Yeah, I will. Yes, take this test right now. You don't have Wi Fi? No. Yeah, the, yeah, there's Wi Fi right here. Ask this dude. Go to Wi Fi. So, you asked me what a bad score is. First thing, narcissism. If they score high on the dark triad narcissism, I have them take a second test called MPI. It's kind of like an x-ray of the brain. Sometimes people argue with me. I'm like, would you argue with an x-ray? If an x-ray shows you have a broken arm, would you be like, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. No, you have a broken damn arm. You kind of have a broken brain on certain things. On some things, you're doing great. So I'm not going to throw you under the bus too much. But the second thing you look for is Machiavellianism, which you are not, so that's good about you. You don't lie a lot. So that's good, high five. She gets caught or else she would lie. <laughs> did you get it? Yeah, I did Yeah, give it to, give, okay. If they score, so have you ever dated a guy that says one thing, but then behind your back does a completely different thing? That's Machiavellian traits, not straightforward. And you can do a Machiavellian inventory. The third one, only women have to deal with this, psychotic. Who here has ever dealt with a psychotic guy? He basically had no emotions. You? Okay, we have one over here, Adrian. So what was he like? Emotionless? No feelings? How long did you stay with him? Why? People. Respect your damn self. Who cares? There's lots of people you could have. But think about this. Here, here's a good framework for life. Imagine you got seven more months in life, and that's it. You gonna spend it with that guy? Because a lot, 50 people just got shot in the back, in the face yesterday. It could have been any one of us at this table. First, what you have to do is only think about the thing you want. The end game result. There's an old saying, keep your eye on the prize. People misinterpret what that means. You gotta take it literally. What's the prize? It has to be specific. So you gotta be like, because I'm gonna replace my old Mitsubishi Galant with a Mercedes, or I'm going to go to Hawaii on a vacation, or I'm going to um, never again have to wake up with an alarm clock because I'm gonna start my own company. All the things you're procrastinating about, uh, procrastinating about come from basically a misalignment in your brain of something that I call the risk versus, uh, sorry, the reward versus pain ratio. So the second pain becomes too much of your focus, whether it be, okay, I'm gonna have to, you know, work hard to start a business or to complete a new project, that's pain. Right? When you focus on pain, sure, you'll think about the reward. You want to get a raise. You want to start your own business. You want to have more freedom. But when the reward is not contemplated enough, if it's not visualized, then the pain gets too high. It's like a scale when I say, you know, the, the uh, reward pain ratio. And so the scale, when the pain gets too high and the reward gets too low, um, you'll always procrastinate. There's no solution. No one has an answer for you. 
<laughs> you can read all kinds of books. I read lots of books. There's no answer. The second the, re the reward pain ratio is out of whack. So like Mark Cuban told me, he said, Ty, when he was poor, he used to drive around Dallas, Texas, literally. He had no money, drive around and look at rich people's houses. And so he could have very specific rewards in mind. He could be like, ooh, I want a pool like that. Or ooh, I want a, you know, whatever, this many square feet. And it doesn't have to be all material things. It can be other stuff. You can, you know, think about, like I said, I, like for me as an entrepreneur, one of the things I think about, what I think about is specific stuff like I never want to have someone to tell me what to do. That's why I became an entrepreneur. I'm like, you know what? I don't like people telling me what to do. So I keep that in mind sometimes when I don't feel like working, I'm like, ooh, but do I wanna go back to a life where if I wanna to come to New York, I gotta ask somebody. And the more I focus on the rewards, whatever it is that rewards you, you know? This is the same thing with like working out. People focus too much on the workout. You know, it doesn't matter that much which workout routine, it's like diet. Diet doesn't matter that much either. There's people gaining and losing weight as vegans. There's people gaining and losing weight as paleo. There's people gaining, it's the same with workout routines. Some people are doing high intensity stuff. Some people are big cardio people. Some people lift weights. At the end of the day, the people who stick to the routine are the ones who get in shape, period. So that's what I meant why if you focus on the painful event, like, oh, I gotta go to the gym, like, and guess what? And you start thinking about, okay, am I gonna be vegan? Am I gonna be, nah, forget all that. Ask yourself, what's the reward for you being in great shape? Will you date somebody that's not attracted to you now that will become attracted to you? Just focus on being in a relationship with that person or dating them. Don't be a psycho stalker, but you know, <laughs> you literally focus on that and then you go to the gym because now you've changed your mental perception of the reward pain ratio. Remember, the reward pain ratio is very illusory, it's imaginary. For some people, The Rock says, one thing that changed his life was when he was like five years old, his dad would bring him to the gym. And his dad was a bodybuilder and an athlete. And he said his dad rewired his brain because his dad wouldn't let him work out because he was too young. So his dad actually rewired his brain as a five-year-old. And he, and he says to this day, when he hears the sound of gym equipment, he gets happy because he's associated with rewards. That was the time he was with his dad. He doesn't think about the pain. You know, some people say, no pain, no gain. And you just focus on the pain and you'll, everything, no, no one's gonna sit there. Your brain won't let you. So with The Rock, the reason he's, one of the reasons he says he's diligent in the gym is because he has good, his good connotations, you could call it. Good associations. So you wanna associate, like if you're worried about starting your own business and you go, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? See, you're focused on the process. You, that'll come later. Get your butt to the gym. Get started on the company. Then you'll figure out the process as you go, if that makes sense. So get the order right. The visualization, Kobe Bryant, one of the great basketball players of all time, Hall of Fame, you know, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. One of the things that he says, or he did, he would play basketball without the ball because the ball's the process, you know? And the ball, the process wasn't important. What it was is he would visualize the ball going in. Shaquille O'Neal said he came into the gym one day and thought Kobe Bryant had gone crazy. He was playing a game by himself with no ball. Boom. 
playing it in real life, like dribbling and all that. So the process of dribbling, Kobe wasn't focused on because that's painful to learn how to improve your skills. He was focused on what's gonna look like when he shoots and the ball goes in. That's the reward. The crowd, he was probably hearing cheering. You know, he made hundreds of millions of dollars. He might've been thinking about that. He might've been thinking about the respect, whatever it is that motivates you. So remember, keep the eye on the prize. The prize, whatever the prize is, and it should be tangible. Don't say broad things like, oh, happiness. You're too broad. Don't say, oh, you know, life's gonna be better. Oh, I'll make enough money. Pick a number. When I make 100 grand a year, I'll be able to do blank. Go visit my family on Thanksgiving, you know, without stress. I'll be able to contribute to this charity. I'll be able to buy this car or this nicer place to live. I'll be able to put my kids in a nicer school. You know, that is a tangible, specific benefit. A lot of these regulations have unintended side, uh, uh, side effects. Remember, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So if you do ethanol, quote unquote, to save the world, well, then they plow up all these fields that are too steep that really should be in pasture or woods. They grow corn, they destroy the soil, they cause erosion. The good soil sloughs down here to the bottom. And it's very hard to ever fix that, by the way. And then, sure, you can not use gasoline in a car and use ethanol, but it's like one step forward and two steps backwards. A lot of these regulations like that. You have to understand game theory. <clears throat> you have to understand, you know, this law, this Newtonian law that all action has opposite and equal reaction. So you can't just make up a rule to fix the world without thinking of What's the intent, unintended consequences? What do you think of this place? I think it looks gorgeous. Kate wants a four-wheeler. <laughs> I do. We could go down these hills with it. <laughs> You're not so concerned with my conversation about <laughs> carbon sequestration and erosion. She's like, where's the four-wheeler? I can respect that. I like, I like four-wheelers. It'll be, it'll be more fun. More fun than talking about this. Yep. <laughs> it's probably true. Probably true. But this farm is actually very beautiful. It's got a spring, produces half a million gallons of water a day. It's got a river. It's got three houses. Pretty dope place. This woods here. It's another thing. Talking about environmental degradation. A lot of people think you should just never cut down a tree. They don't understand the natural cycle. All things live and die. And if you never cut down any trees, that's not natural because in nature, there's big forest fires, huge fires. The United States used to have forest fires that would literally wipe out massive amounts of woods and the Native Americans used to set things on fire. So when there's regulations that have no cutting of trees, they're actually poisoning the stand of woods. This is called a stand of trees. And what happens is these old trees get in there and they start to die because they get old. Trees literally get old. Now trees last a fairly long time, but they're kind of like humans. You know, a lot of trees last 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. And if you don't cut them down, then they take up sunlight and prevent new growth from coming. Just like in the world, if you only gave benefits to old people and you crowded out the young people, you'd be killing off your society. So another unintended regulatory consequence of 
people meaning good, just like people doing ethanol. They meant well, but they didn't understand nature. They don't understand biology. And as Joel Salton, my first mentor told me, mother nature always laughs last. Meaning if you break her rules, you suffer, not her. And that's a lot of the world right now. These are called sumac trees right there. They have sumac berries. Native Americans used to use those. They to edible? Die. Uh, nope. No? They will kill you. Never but mind. They are edible. <laughs> Just only once. <laughs> After one, one, what one. What they use them for? Well, all, a lot of these berries they would use to grind up. And uh, I think they would make, I might be wrong, but I think they would make dye for their clothing. Huh. And also some of them, you can strain out the poison. That's like like with uh, acorns and oak. If you don't get rid of the tannins, they're nasty, but you can drain it out of them with water. Look at this, how cool that valley looks there. We're just in a uglier part of the farm because it's a cornfield. You can see they applied lime. It's funny, people understand supplements. Kate has her little Vitam daily vitamins for her. <laughs> soil needs the same thing. Very similar, like your body needs protein. The soil needs nitrogen. Your body needs carbs and sugars for energy. The soil, the one different plants use uh, photosynthesis. They use the sun instead of carbs as we use, as we know them. <laughs> but other things we need too, like I blood test myself, calcium is very important. That's what this lime is. A lot, if you test your blood, trust me, I use a company called Wellness FX, or I use Nutrivol, Spectracell. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of deficiencies in our body. You guys coming? Yep. <laughs> it's funny, walking and talking is harder. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, why am I out of breath? Oh, no, but I wouldn't be normally out of breath. Here's the valley. Shenandoah Valley. It's gorgeous. So be very careful, um, you know, when you are voting for whether it be a politician or a law, that you really understand what you're voting on, you know? Especially around regulations of Mother Nature. Mm -hmm.